All right. Okay. Just want to make sure the microphone turned on for me <laughs> before I started speaking. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, everyone who came out. Um, we are going to be reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. And the last time we did 2 Kings chapter 4, you know, we're not, we're not doing a chapter by chapter study, but Lord works in good ways sometimes. That's how it just works. So um, we'll give everybody a, a minute or two to open your Bibles. Ashley's posting the, the verses in the um, chat right now, so you'll be able to read them in the comments. It's taking her just a minute, so we'll give everybody a moment. Give Ashley a moment to get that finished for y'all. As always, um, we said at the beginning, but we'll say it again. If you have any prayer requests, go ahead and put them in the comments. You know, if you don't want everybody knowing your business, I get that. You can send us a message too, or if you want to just um, put un unspoken prayer requests, or you don't have to get specific with the details with us. Prayer is prayer, right? God knows what's going on, even if we don't know what's going on. All right, we're good. So we're going to go ahead and open up the Second Kings chapter 5. We're going to be re reading verses 1 through 19. And we'll go ahead and pick up here. It says, Now Naaman, can, uh, commander of the army of the, of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord has given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and, brought, and had brought back, brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was his wife's maid, basically. Um, then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man send a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he, how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when, when Elijah, the man of God, heard, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and had, that, he had sent, that, he sent us, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet of, in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of, Eli of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. I want to take note real quick here, just for a second. Put a pin in it. Elisha did not see Naaman when he came to his door. He was outside the house, and Elijah sent someone else to talk to him. All right. Let's pick back up here. And... But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he shall surely come out to me and stand 
and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the, I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you if I butcher these names, just overlook it right now. The Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than, the, than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And, he, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, and he, he and all his aides, and came, sorry, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will, not receive, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. He won't take the dirt from Israel. Um, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods but, the, but to your God. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow in the temple of, of Rimen. When I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this, one, in this thing. And he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. That was a lot of verses, not as many as last week, still a lot. I do apologize about that, but I feel like we had to get the whole story in. And that's not even all the story. There's another part, but y'all can read that in your own time. Um, I want to talk to y'all tonight about this, about it's just that simple. I want to talk to y'all about overcomplicating what God tells you to do. And so to do this, we have to take a step back. We read through all the verses, but let's, let's, let's actually dive into them instead of just getting through them, right? So we start here knowing that Naaman is a man of power. He is a warrior. He is a leader. He is someone that the Syrians lean on. And when, God, when it says that God gave, him, God gave the Syrians victory through Naaman, he means against Israel. They were raiding Israel. He was giving them victory in Israel. And so... It just so happens to work out that as God is doing this through Naaman, that he's punishing his own people, that a young girl comes and she knows of Elisha. She knows of this prophet of God. And even though the girl is captive, she's a servant, not by her, not by, she didn't put a job application in and got the job. She was forced into it. She still looks for the good for Naaman. That tells you what kind of man he is. He is a good person. People respect him. And so even in that, you can start to see his character. And so Naaman hears this. And as anyone would, when you hear that someone can heal you or someone can help you, right? It's like uh, every time you see in the movies when there's someone battling an illness and they hear, oh, there's this one doctor who specializes in it. 
and he's the best person or she's the best doctor for it. And immediately in the movie, you know, they go and seek out that person because that's who they need, right? So Naaman hears that, and just like any normal person would, he's like, I have to go and find them. Now, Naaman's been in Israel. We talked about it. They're raiding Israel. So he's, he's been in the land of Israel. He's been there. He's seen the people. He's, he's hurt the people. Sorry, I need a sip of water right there. Mouth's a little dry. And so he's, he's seen all these things. He's done all these things to Israel. But he knows that there's a possibility that he will be healed from leprosy, which is just any skin disease in their time. And he goes through, and he goes to the king. Now, the girl, did she say to go to, go to the king? She said go to the prophet. Gave him the location. He's in Samaria. Now, Samaria, as we know, that's the Samaritans, right? That's the part that the Jewish people didn't want to be a part, a part of. That was that area that they were the, the, the half-breeds of Jewish people. They didn't claim them. So he knows where Elijah's at. But instead of taking a trip to Samaria, he goes to his king first and tells him all this stuff. And then, of course, you know, just like how we do any time that we get told to do something from God and then we go ask someone else's opinion on what we should do, it gets a lot more complicated. Because when you go and ask other people what you think, what they think you should do, everyone is going to give you a different answer. Because everyone has a way that they would handle it. But it's not always the way God would handle it. And so he goes to the king, and the king says, okay, you should go see this prophet. So it starts out good. He, he, he's basically just giving permission to go. But then he says, but before you do that, I'm going to give you a note, okay? I'm going to give you a note. Makes sense. Permission slip, right? Hey, don't bother my dude. He's just going He's just going to go find this guy. Don't worry about it. And he's like, and I'll give him all this gifts too because I know we've been doing some bad stuff to him, but we want to make sure you get healed. We don't want to have anybody having any issues with you. So he, he gives him this note. You know, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, like the note on the, on the kid's chest as he goes to his parents so the teacher can tell them something, you know? So you make sure you give this note to your mom now. So, so he gives him this note, and obviously Naaman didn't open the note, but he knew he was supposed to go to the king first. So he gets there with all this stuff, like an orphan, dropped off at the door with a note on him <laughs> and gives it to him. And, of course, the king is freaking out because the king doesn't heal people. And then not only that, you have the king who doesn't heal people, but then you also have the fact that you have an enemy in your courtroom, not just any enemy, the enemy who is causing your demise, who is causing these raids to happen, the one who is leading the people, who is, who is the one that God is working through to do your tribulation, your trial. And so he, he has all this in there. And on top of that, he's a leper. What do we know about lepers? In the Jewish culture, lepers couldn't even be in the city. Not only is there one in the city, there's one standing in the same room as him, as the king. They were thought to be highly contagious. And only after they were healed could they, they'd have to go to a priest. And then the priest could say, oh, you're clean now. You can go back to everybody else. You see it a lot in, Jew, in, in Jesus' time. When he heals a leper, he tells them, go to the priest. Don't tell people I healed you. Just go to the priest. Don't tell them I did it. Because then it made a bad look on Jesus because he touched the leper, right? And so here this guy is, 
and the thing is, is it, it doesn't say, it, Naaman says that it's, he would wave his hand over some area, right? That's what he expected Elijah to do was to wave his hand over an area. So you knew it wasn't all over his body. So maybe it wasn't clearly seen. He could have got all the way up to the king's office, got the note, and the king not know that he, had, he was a leper until he read the note. So the king is going through all this turmoil, all this anxiety, all this stress, because they overthought the instructions. They took the simple instructions of go to this guy in Samaria, which we know is Elisha, and he'll heal you to let's take a detour. Let's go by the king with all these gifts, offer him these gifts. Let's give him a note that says the king is supposed to heal him and not Elisha is supposed to heal him. So, of course, luckily God doesn't get upset about us not listening or about us overcomplicating what he's, the simple task he's given us. Because Elisha hears about this. I don't even know how he heard about it. It doesn't say he was in the area. It says he was back at his house. Naaman had to go to his house. That means the king had his panic attack in front of everybody. Somebody ran to go talk to Elisha, and Elisha sent somebody back while he was still there. And so, luckily, God still works it out to know that the people that you are causing heavy burdens on because you didn't listen, God's going to still leave them of it. And God's not going to punish you for it. God doesn't punish Naaman for going taking a detour. Doesn't, doesn't punish him for taking the long route. He doesn't not heal him because of it. And so it's just like, and I've talked about this before, it's just like when we come with our problems. And either we do this, we don't give it to God and we mess with it. Or we do give it to God and then we go and mess with it. It is, it is very rare on your first attempt of giving something to God that you still don't think there's something you can do with it. That you still don't think, oh, I can fix it. Oh, oh, I can do this. Or we doubt God. When God calls you to do something or God tells you to do something, you know, God tells you, hey, you need to go put an application in for this job. I'm going to give it to you. And all of a sudden, we're, we're, starting to, we're starting to look at that, that job application, and we're going, am I qualified for this? It asks for all this experience. I don't have that experience. Or the same thing. God asks you to sing. I, I, have, I don't sing out loud in front of people, God. I don't sing in front of people. Why would I, why would I go out front and sing? I don't, I don't play music in front of people. God, I don't, I'm, not a good pe- I'm not a people person. I don't, I don't talk to people very well. Why would I go and, and try to invite people to church? Why would you have me be the outreach? I don't think I'm very friendly. You know, we can get all these little doubts in our head about the, 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 the thing that God tells us to do, and then we start to overcomplicate it. We start to get so caught up in all these detours that we put into it that you'll notice that the thing that God told you to do immediately, it's now three or four years later and you still haven't got done. You still haven't even started on it because you've been taking all these detours that you feel like you need to work out before you can do it. So 
we have to change the way we think about what God says. We have to change the way that we understand God. We have to change the way that, that, that when God says something to us, what our immediate response is. A lot of times in the Bible, you know, we can look at the characters that go, God says, hey, what you doing? You know, like, I want to talk to you. And they go, here I am, Lord. I would not be a here I am, Lord person, okay? But I hear some crazy voice come out of nowhere in the middle of the night while I'm, I'm in my bed sleeping like Samuel. I'm booking it. I am gone, okay? I am gone. I am not messing with that. I heard some random voice in my house clear as day talking to me, and I didn't. I, I, I would be running around unplugging the cameras. I think we would be hacked for the cameras at my house because it, it might be Ashley messing with me. Who knows? She's done it before. Not all the time, but she's done it before. Heard her talking to the dogs one day over the camera while I was in the other room, and I was scared to death. I ran in there and unplugged that thing so quick. So I, my, my point of saying this is, I am not a, here I am, Lord. Whatever shall you do? Whatever shall I do for you, God? I'd be like, oh, buddy, no. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Don't talk to me like that, Jesus. We're gonna have, you need to let me know. You can't just go, Damien. I'd be like, no, uh-uh. No, I need to know. So we hear those things, right? We hear those things, and they, they scare us. We need to change the way that we think to our automatic response. Or we hear what God calls us to do, and we go, uh-uh, that's not me. That's not me. I was listening to this one preacher who wrote a book, and I'm not sure why. I didn't write this in my notes. Share the story. Ashley can tell you. But so there's this guy, and he's wrote 17 books in over 100 different languages. And he was talking And he said that when God told him to write his first book, that he told God, God, you know, you're a pretty busy guy, and I I know you don't make mistakes, but obviously you've gotten me confused with somebody else because I barely passed English class in high school, and I had the lowest score on the SAT out of anyone I've met in my life. He had a 370 on his writing score in the SAT. He's terrible at it. He said it would take him hours to write one page in high school. And so he went on for another year, and he didn't hear anything else back from God. So he he thought, oh, I must have been right. God heard my rebuttal, and I was right. And he said, and then within two weeks, two different women in two different states told him the same thing, that if he didn't sit down and write what God told him to write, that God would give it to somebody else, and then he would have to answer for it. And after the second time, that of a different lady telling him that same thing. He sat down and write it. And now he's wrote 17 books. And he publishes them in all different languages. So it, it helps to teach people about Christianity all across the world. But see, that's the point. Is His starting point was, no, that's not me. That's, that's not me. We think that we have to be qualified for God, God to call us. I'm not, a proc, I'm not sure on the exact number of years, but David was called and anointed. Now, there's a difference between calling and anointing. Right? Calling is when God calls you to do something. The anointing is, means that you are the chosen one of God for that position. 
That means God's power is with you when you are anointed for it, right? So David is called and anointed as a child to be king of Israel, and years go by before he ever gets there. He, he worked as a servant for the king while still tending to the sheep. And so we get, we get caught up in, God, I'm, I'm a shepherd. I don't know how I'm going to get to be king. God's not asking you to worry about that. He's got that. He told you to do it, right? See, because we, we, we keep thinking that if God tells me to go over there, that there I have to walk around this and just keep walking around and walking around and walking around and walking around. I don't even know the camera can see me over here. And you get over here, and that's, that's all the extra steps you have to do. But if I'm standing over here and God tells me to go over here, if I follow the straight and narrow path that God has sent for me, it's not going to take me as long to get over here. It's not going to take me as long to get over here because I walked in the way that God, I didn't trust the fact that of, oh, I need to make sure I do these turns and everything. I trusted that God was going to make the way for it because he told me he'd do it. And so that immediate response of when we hear God's word and instead of doubting it, or getting angry, or getting frustrated, or doing any of these things, we say, okay, God, let me do it. Let me be obedient. And so we see this with Naaman. And we're going to use Elisha as God again today, like we did two weeks ago. Elisha is the, the man of God. Therefore, he represents God in our story. And so as Naaman is told, to go and wash in the river of the Jordan seven times. Get a good old scrub-a-dub in there. Make sure you don't miss any cracks. Scrub it real good, Naaman. Then, then you'll be healed. Now, to Naaman, this doesn't make any sense because he is not an Israelite. He is, he is someone who would be considered far above an Israelite in, in the world's eyes. They raided, the, they raided Israel. They attacked Israel. They obviously thought themselves superior of Israel to do that. So he automatically, when he hears this, goes, well, I've washed in our river all these years. I've been, I've been cleaning myself. I've been scrubbing. I've, been, I've already done this. I've already, I've already done this. I do this, I do this daily, you know? Now, it wasn't showers. You know, they probably had to go get in the river and scrub. And he, he's like, I've done it. I've done it in this river. I've done it in that river. I've, I've cleaned myself. I've done it. I've tried to scrub this off. I have to look at it every day. Of course, I've tried to scrub it off. I've tried to get rid of this thing that's attached to me. Just like how we will pray and pray and pray for this thing to leave us or for us to get past it or for us to do all these things. But see, when we're praying that, we're still working in our own power. Naaman was scrubbing and cleaning in those rivers in his own power. And so, there's a difference when you work in God's power and when you work in your own. And the other thing is, is we make our plans of how we think God should do it of how we think God should move in our lives. When I pray, 
hey, God, I want a new job. Or, hey, God, I want a new house. Or, hey, God, I want a new car. We are expecting the perfect thing to come our way. Heck, we almost expect to get a job without applying for one. You almost want it to be, you know, you go out on Indeed and you get a message from someone to invite you to a job. God, let me hear you call me. That's, that's, we want those divine interventions of these amazing stories that we hear. But sometimes it's not that. It's just going and doing it and trusting that God's going to open the right door for it. And so we make these plans, just like Naaman did, of the supernatural, the miracles that we hear. I guarantee you there's been plenty of people with cancer that have had the same conversation that Naaman has because they've heard someone be healed of cancer in a miraculous way. And they hear that and they go, God, why aren't you doing that for me? Why am I not getting healed immediately? Why is it not that when I went for my checkup after we prayed and I stood and stood in the church and was anointed before you, that when I saw that someone else did that, they came back and their, their, their checkup to see if it actually was cancer, it wasn't. It, in fact, the whole thing was gone. The mass was gone. But when I did it, not only was it cancer, but it was worse than what it looked like before. How come you didn't do it the same way for me? And so we have these plans on God's blessing. And let me tell you, if you have plans on God's blessing, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. If I'm pointing fingers, I'm pointing at myself too because I have plans on God's blessings a lot of times. But plans on God's blessings is the same as being prideful because you think that you know better than God. You think that you know exactly how God should do something. God, the ruler and knower of all things in the universe, of every person, and of what they're needing in their exact moment, you know more. If you want to argue about that, please, please try to, because I, I, I would love to see how that isn't pride. Because if you're working on a group project in school, and there's that one person that it's going to be done their way, or they're going to throw an attitude, or they're going to make things difficult for everybody in the group, guess what? You don't like that person. That's like the one person that, you know, the control freak. Nobody likes working with that person in the group unless they know what they're doing. Hey, you know, if you're, you're a straight-A student that's a control freak, go ahead. Go ahead. Right? You go ahead and do it. Right? God's a straight-A student. He ain't going to mess it up. But <laughs> it's the ones that feel like they need to be in control and need to determine everything that you realize you really don't like those people because you can't even do what you want to do. And that's similar. That's basically getting in a group project with God and saying, God's saying, all right, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on this. Think about it like, like a pot, a pot of clay, right? You know, you're shaping it, you're shaping it, God's helping you shape it. And you're like, well, you know, Instead of making this big, tall vase, I was thinking like this little tiny flower pot. And he's like, it's supposed to be a vase. It's going to be really pretty. And he's like, no, but I want a flower pot. I, I was expecting a flower pot. 
That's what you're telling God. Right? It's a weird example. I know. You can laugh at me. But you're going to think about the flower pot. You're going to think about it. And so we get in this moment, and we can forget that God knows what he's doing. Even when we don't know what we're doing. I use Moses in here a lot, but we're going to talk about him again. We're going to talk about that stick, him hitting that rock, right? That's Moses' pride. We talked about his little you shall not pass staff, like good old Gandalf hitting that rock, letting the water come out. Is the same thing. Because he thought, well, God did it this way last time, so he's going to do it the same way again. I expect him to. Only bad part with Moses, Moses was told something different. And he still didn't listen. Because he thought he knew. This is Moses, the man who went up to the mountain to talk with God. He, he sat up there for three days and got some tablets, got the rules. He set everything in line for the Jewish people. And then he failed to listen. And on the opposite spectrum, you have Joshua and Caleb who went into the promised land and came back. And as soon as everyone else was saying, you know, it is, it's amazing. There's so many great things in the, in the promised land. We're going to have plenty to eat. There's going to be plenty of food. There's going to be plenty of all these things. And they said, but the, the people, there's a bunch of Shaquille O'Neal's over there. They're so tall and so big, and we're so small. We can't fight those guys. There's no way. And then Joshua and Caleb were like, are you forgetting? Like We crossed the whole Red Sea on dry ground. We didn't have to do nothing, and he killed a whole army. God crushed them with the waves. I didn't even have to shoot a bow. I didn't have to get a sword. I just walked. You not forget that all these battles we've been doing in, 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 in the wilderness, that Moses just raised his hands and we win? Because Joshua and Caleb knew that God could do it because there's nothing impossible for God. It doesn't matter how he tells you to do it. He can still do it. He can still do it. Regardless if it's telling you to bathe, like you've bathed every single day, but just do it some more in a different spot, God can still do it. And so when we change our ways to think, not like Moses and not like Nahum, but instead like Joshua and Caleb who says, yeah, we saw the same things, but we're not going to doubt God. God told us that we're going to the promised land. I don't want to sit here and walk around in the wilderness for 40 years waiting to go to the place that I already said we could go to. Because I knew God could take us there. So we get through all that. And, of course, there's how Naaman's people are always his servants that tell him what God says. The little girl told him to go and he'll be healed. His servant walked up to him and said, if it was hard, you would be okay with it. The New Living Translation basically says that, that the servant tells him, you were expecting something difficult. If it had been difficult, you wouldn't be whining about it. 
you got told to take a bath and you're whining and complaining. Why wouldn't you do the easy thing if you're willing to do the hard thing? And we do the same thing. God tells us something simple. If you just trust in me, it'll be simple. It's just that simple. And we'll overcomplicate it. We'll be more willing to do these hard things and these more difficult things because that's what God told us to do. Well, that's, that's not what God told us to do but because we didn't like what God told us to do. We expected it to be more difficult than that. And so the problem with the, there wasn't a problem with the Jordan, right? Nahum says it's greater in this, in this translation. In the message translation, he says it's that the other rivers are cleaner than the Jordan. And so he was so caught up in the physical aspects of it that he didn't see the spiritual aspects of it. That it's not about how clean something is. It's not about how nice something is that God tells you to do. It's about the fact that he told you to do it. He told you to do it that way. If Nahum would have got in another river and tried to wash himself, I can imagine he probably would have got more leprosy than he had. Because that's not what God told him to do. And so it wasn't just about that. It was just about what God told him to do. And so as soon as Nahum takes his bath and he starts cleaning himself and cleaning himself and he's scrubbing, and he starts to see it fall off of him like mud, like dirt. It's just falling off of him. And it's in that moment that he understands that it wasn't about how clean the river was It wasn't about how nice the river was. It wasn't about the location of the river. It was about the fact that he was obedient to God. That as long as he followed what God said, he would bless him. And so as soon as he gets all that done, he says, let me take some dirt. So that when I go back home in Syria, this place that is not Israel, that I am not one of God's chosen people, I'm going to put the dirt wherever my burnt offering is going to be at. I'm going to lay it there, and I'll only do it on this dirt so that God knows for certain it is for him and only him. And I'm, I'm going to close. I know I've been going on for a little bit. I'm sorry. My bad. Y'all good, though? You know, it's Sunday. I'm just I'm getting y'all prepped for Monday morning. We're going to work. That's all. <laughs> but Naaman's story could have never started without faith. And I think when you think about that, that his little amount of faith to believe that this random person that he had never seen before in Israel could heal him of this disease, that he was willing so far to go to his king that had just, you know, been sending him out on missions to raid Israel, to ask him of it. You knew there was faith there. It was this little tiny bit of faith. And, of course, his faith starts getting whittled down by the extra steps he has to take. The journey was probably long to get there. But then he gets there, and he's at the wrong person. And that person can't help him. So he gets there, and now he has to make an extra trip to go even longer to go see the person he was supposed to see in the first place. And you got to imagine as he's sitting there, and he's traveling, and he's just like, why am I even here? Why did I even bother to come? 
And he, does, he gets there. He's expecting to see this man who comes out and see this man of God. And instead, he doesn't even get to see him. He gets another dude. And you got to imagine, he didn't know what Elijah looked like. He's probably going up and goes, oh, mighty prophet. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. Will you heal me? And he's like stretching out wherever this leprosy's at. Will you heal me? He's like, no, I, I'm just a servant. He told me to tell you to go take a bath. So go turn around and, and walk some more. I could see his frustration. Because everywhere he went, there was another door in his way. There was another obstacle he had to pass through. But see, it was that faith, that size of the mustard seed faith that told him to go and do it, that got him out there in the first place. And as he's venting his frustrations, now he's, as he's doing these things, it takes someone going to him and going, you're making it too difficult. If you make it a little bit easier, if you do what he says, because it's simple, because it's easy, then you'll see it. And you got to imagine as he's hearing that, he's probably frustrated still, but he's, he's thinking about it and he goes, yeah, that's right. I came all this way. Why would I turn back now? I'd just be wasting steps. I'd be wasting people's time if I came all this way to turn back now because I didn't want to take a bath. I didn't want to take seven baths. I didn't want to have to scrub myself that much. And just like us, we start, when we come and we pray to God or we ask God to intervene in our situations because we have faith even if it's just a little bit, to believe that God can fix it. But then we lose our faith and we start doubting God because we keep trying to fix it. God can't work without all of it. God can't work when you're in the way. Right? Try to work on a project with somebody on one computer or one tablet or one cart or whatever you use at work right, and see how much more difficult it is when you have two people there trying to work on the same thing. It's like Ashley in the kitchen. I get in the kitchen with Ashley. I might cut something. That's about it. Other than that, I am in her way. She just wants me out of the way. Leave me alone. I got it. You, cut, you already cut all the vegetables. You already cut all the vegetables. You got the spices out. Cool deal. You got everything I needed so it's close by. Leave. You're just in my way. Mama does the same thing. Yeah. So is there, there's always people that you're like, just get out the way so I can work. And God's telling you the same thing. If you move, both of us will be less frustrated. And it'll get done a lot faster. And so if we just leave it with God, if we leave that faith that we took and say, I know God can do it, and we just stop touching it. I bet you'll see your faith grow a lot more. Instead of you going through getting this little bit of faith to bring something to God and then whittling it down, and then when he finally does it, your faith gets up a little bit more, but still about the same size as when you started, and then you keep doing it. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had the faith to believe God did it, and then after he did it, your faith was still there, but it grew? Because 
you were obedient to listen to him the first time? That's all I have for tonight.